Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Welcome back to another week. Welcome back to another episode. Welcome back to If I Didn't Laugh, I'd Cry. How are you all doing? How's it going? What's been going on this week? You know what I mean? What have you been thinking, feeling? What's the tea? <laughs> What's been going on? Um, I myself have been okay. I've been doing well. Just working. Um, came back from my travels. Got traveling again next week. It never stops. And then half term is going to start. I'm looking forward to half term, you get me, because quality time with my baby G um and it means I'm gonna be home for a solid solid 10 days at least without travel but yeah anyway um that's it really that's all I've got to report you know what I mean oh something weird happened to me today I got a message from a random number and it said I'm on my way I'm on my way (laughs) on your way where and I sent question marks I saved this number I did that thing where you save the number and you go on WhatsApp and see who it is. I feel like this person was mocking me. I feel like this person wanted to rattle me and rattle me I was. You get me? I'm on my way. I was like, where? <laughs> I was shook. I was shook. I, I was checking all my calendars. Have I made plans that I forgot? Because I do that a lot. I make plans and I completely forget that I've made plans. But, you know, after I sent the question marks, the person didn't say anything. So I was like, well, <laughs> deleted because who who are you? Who is she? You know what I mean? So that was a bit that was a bit freaky. But other than that, that's really it. That's all that happened. Um, did anything else happen? No, not that I can think of. But anyway, guys, it's just me. So let's get into it. <laughs> Um, I don't have anything to get off my chest. No, no, not one thing. You know what I mean? And it's not one of those things where I say I don't have anything to get off my chest and I proceed to get lots of things off my chest. I've got nothing to get off my chest. But my sister reminded me of a story, right? And this story happened when we are in Malawi, yeah? Let's set the scene. It's Friday night. It felt like Friday night to me, actually, because any single time we did like prayers, evening prayers to this extent to me, I was like, well, we must be in Sabbath hours. You know what I mean? So it could have been any day of the week, right? Could have been any day. But to me, in my head, it was Friday night. 
And this is when my cousin used to live with us. So it was me, my cousin, my older brother, my sister. And I think my younger brother was like such a, a, either before he was born or he was a small baby. But I remember being the youngest at the time. And then in this in this story, we had um, prayers in the evening and my parents had their friend come around. And this friend was them people who like, yeah, like if you're praying, preaching, whatever, they're going to let you know. Lately, I've become the, if you're preaching, I am going to go, mm, if you're making a point, you get me. When you make a point, I'm like, hmm. Yes, like I now make a little bit, a little bit of noise, not too much, you get me? <laughs> but it just happens involuntary. It's not like I'm seeking to do it. It's like I'm engrossed in what you're saying, like, mm, yeah. And I feel like it, made, it makes preachers feel good, especially when you don't do it in an obnoxious way. I feel like it makes them feel good, like, yo, people are engaged. But my guy, yeah, he agreed with every single point, yeah, just to set the scenes. So now it's prayer time. And my dad was praying. And the guy was, mm, yes, yes, mm, amen. Like, oh my gosh, and we're young. And the prayer was quite long. I think my dad was loving it. <laughs> I think my dad was loving it. Because that prayer went on for time. So, you know, us, the, the, the young ones, the siblings, we opened our eyes. And we started looking at each other because, yo, what's going on? And all of us, you can see our face is about to explode with laughter. Explode. We're doing everything in our power not to laugh. But who breaks the chain first? Who breaks the chain first? I did. My, I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, yeah! and my laugh, my laugh isn't... <laughs> My laugh, you can hear it. I don't care where we are. We could be at a funeral, in a library, at a restaurant, at a wedding. If something cracks me up, like really makes me laugh, I am sorry. This mouth opens wide. My head throws back. I am laughing, yeah? So that's exactly what I did. I cracked first and I opened this mouth and like they couldn't hold it. Every single one of us cracked up laughing during prayer, prayer. <laughs> can you deep that in Africa? Can you deep that? We all knew what was coming after. We all knew, right? We all knew. They said amen and my parents just looked visibly embarrassed. I'm embarrassed about it now because if Olivia was to do this, oh my gosh, I would be so upset with her. I would be so disturbed. My, I would be shaken to the core. <laughs> Till this day, I, she could be 50. I would be shaken to the core. I would remember that incident and I would have to discipline her all over again. <laughs> <laughs> my parents were not happy. They were fuming. The minute the door shut and they said goodbye to this man, oh, I'm telling you right now, it was whatever whatever music station consistently plays music, that was us. That's how many tears there were that night because we got it. We got it. Oh, my days. My sister actually remember, reminded me that. And I was like, oh, yeah. That was crazy. 
that was crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we're back on track, not back on track like we're ever off track, but we're back on our journey of Tonga. Why is it that you believe what you believe? Right? You're a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, but why is it that you don't do what generally Christians do? You get me? So, you know, we're going to get into it. Um, following the same theme, creation, meaning of life, day of worship, origins of evil, death, Jesus, salvation, heaven, and hell. So... Let's start from the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. Let's start. What is a Christian? So a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus Christ and follows his teachings. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. This means that when we become a Christian, we may look the same on the outside, but something has forever changed on the inside. There are various metaphors, of, um, there are various metaphors to describe it. We have changed country, come under new ownership, or been born again. Christians believe that God sends his, his Holy Spirit to live within everyone at that moment. The Bible teaches that the sign of a marker of a new life is in Christ is baptism. In becoming a Christian, a person has changed the direction of their life. Instead of following their own desire and ambitions, they, they have said sorry to God for all the wrong that they have said and done and committed themselves to a new direction. Okay. Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he lived as a man on earth about 2,000 years ago. But Jesus is himself divine. He is one person of the three-person God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians believe their accounts in the Bible which say Jesus was miraculously conceived and lived for about 30 years before beginning three years of traveling around the Middle East teaching about God and healing sick people. Christianity teaches that Jesus was betrayed, tried and convicted on false charges and executed um, executed by crucifixion but rose from the dead and reappeared to hundreds of people. He then ascended to heaven to be with God in the future, to be with God. In the future, there will be a time of judgment. After that, those who have put their trust in and faith in Jesus will be with him in eternity. Amazing. All right? Yes. This is this is what I believe. You know what I mean? This is the gist of what I believe. Nothing wrong with that at all. So, what do Christians do believe when it comes to creation most religions have their own account of how um the world started um some stranger than others for jews and christians it is two chapters it is two chapters one and two of genesis the opening book of the bible that they may have mainly turned in trying to understand life and the world around them um there are actually two separate accounts given with distinctive purposes the first genesis 1 verse 1 2 4 is a poem glorifying god for his ordering of creation separating light from darkness land from waters etc um the second biblical account genesis 2 verse 4 to 25 has a very different style and feel it presents a more intimate narrative and gives attention to the place of humankind within creation and their role as god 
care, God's caretakers in the world. They are different from God, very much on of the earth, made from its dust and brought to life by divine breath. God sets limits on human freedom, represents by represented by their pro, prohibition to eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which would bring death for them. Thus, hinting that humankind's future relationship with God may not be so may not be straightforward. Where the first creation account details with peaceful blessings of the Sabbath, the second ends with humans' disobedience in Genesis three and the damaging and the damage the the damage that does to mankind, the damage that does to humankind's relationship with God. Taken together, the two account point the two accounts point to the wonder and order of God's creation. Okay, so let me just stop right there. Um, this is this is an interesting take, I suppose, on creation. Um, I don't think that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are different at all. I think Genesis 1 is a summary um, of everything. It's like, this is what happened in the order in which it happened. And then Genesis 2, it's like, now this is what happened with the most important part. If I don't know if that makes sense. It's like focusing on the creation of man. Am I making sense? Because, you know, in Genesis 1, if we're going to talk about on the first day this happened, second day this happened, third day this, 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 until the sixth day, and then God rested on the seventh day, it's just a summary account. And then in the in the Genesis chapter 2, it's now zooming in on the man, the, the humans, you know, what happened with them. And it basically gives you the order in which things happen on this day six. In the book Genesis 1, it just tells you, you know, he created the animals, he created the humans, male and female, male and female, he created them. He saw that it was good, amazing. And then in Genesis 2, it zooms, it zooms in and it's telling you he created a garden and he placed man in, the, he created man from dust, he breathed into his nostrils and he placed him in this garden, right, to be the, to, to look after it, basically, and his, God saw that man was basically alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Put, it, um, created the animals. After he had created man, he created the animals. Presented them to Adam, named these animals, but there was no helper found that was comparable to him. So it puts a deep sleep. And then he creates Eve. It's just showing you a more focal, focused account on the origins of humans and why there's a man and a woman, you know? And, you know, where the animals came first. And the animals came second and God gave man dominion over them. So it's a very interesting, um, like, summary of an account of what Christians believe when it comes to creation and the a, a different outlook than I've got, I suppose, of what Genesis chapter 1 is and Genesis chapter 2 is. But we can agree that they're both talking about creation that much. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong at all. Um but to me, it's like I just look at it a little bit different than this. But, yeah, nothing. I, I don't disagree too much. You know, I disagree that it's a poem. I think it's just a bam, 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 thank you, ma'am. Here's a summary of how creation started. But I think it's just this one is not a salvation issue at all. So Christians on the meaning of life. Christians on the meaning of life. The purpose of life. Life is not an accident. There is a purpose and meaning to every life. Christians believe that God created the earth and everything that lives on it. God knows each person individually from the baby that tragically lives for that tragically lives just a few minutes 
to the great-grandmother who celebrates her 100th birthday. God created all people and loves them. He made people to worship him and to enjoy a relationship with him forever. God wants us to love him and each other. In the Bible books, Mark and Luke, Jesus Christ was asked what were the most important things a person should do. He replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Christ told a story during his three, his three years of teaching, which illustrates just how God thinks of people. The story known as the prodigal son tells how a father enthusiastically and joyfully takes back a rebellious son who has frittered away from um, frittered away his inheritance and is now destitute. Yes, I agree with um, this, the meaning of life for Christians. We don't believe that life is an accident. And I have to say for myself, in fact, I don't believe that life is an accident. I do believe that there's a purpose for every single life. And, you know, the many times the question comes up of like, you know, how is it fair that a little baby will die? How is it fair that this people will die? And I think I've repeated it over and over and over again, that it's not the doing of God, nor is it the will of God that that individual should die. You know what I mean? Um, it is the consequences of sin. I think because, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands type of vibe and he is in control and over and the overseer of everything that happens. I think it's very easy to blame it all on God. You know what I mean? But I don't believe that God is the one who's causing these things to happen. It's just the consequences of sin. It's like a natural order now in life that happens. Has God got the power to stop that thing from happening yes he does but it's like it have you, i don't know if you guys are online in in terms of like um on socials but you know i've seen this this saying a lot it's a canon event it's a canon event it just needs to happen for somebody to learn themselves it's a canon event it's a set of canon events and i think we tend to shake our fists at god and say well why why aren't you stepping in? You could step in. Why didn't you save my grandmother? But well, what's so special about your grandmother? And not, and not that your neighbor's grandmother who is also dead and the other person's grandmother who is also dead. Like, what's so special about your grandmother that God especially needed to come down and save this person and not other people's grandmothers? Because when you deep it like that, you realize that it's not just you. Everybody experiences suffering. Everybody experiences hardships. And then when you think about, okay, why? What is the cause of this? Why am I being punished for something somebody did? Like in the Garden of Eden, I wasn't even there. I think that's why it's important for you to make a choice for you. That you, a choice for you that will give you eternal life. Because of the people's choice in the Garden, we are all descendants of that couple we are all adams and we can all be traced back to adam and eve if we go far enough you know what i mean um so basically my point is right there's a there's a reason for everything there's a reason for everything and those reasons we may never know while on earth why things happen the way they happen 
why certain babies were only allowed to survive this long and others didn't. But all I know is there is um, a, a force, a not very good force that entered the world, an evil force and a, a, a disease, a sickness that entered in the world. The consequences of sin are rampant in the, were in the world and things happen. Things happen and we don't understand why in those moments, but this is the background of it, really, the gist of it. So when it comes to the meaning of life according to what the Christ, uh, what the what Christianity.org has written, I do believe this. And the love your neighbor as you love yourself, love your God, you will love the Lord God with all your soul, with all your might and all that stuff. I believe that as well. And to be honest with you, all Jesus did was summarize the Ten Commandments into the, the, the categories it falls in. Love your God and love your neighbor. That's all he did was scrunch the first four commandments and scrunch the rest of the commandments and said, this is about your God. This is about your neighbor. You know what I mean? Um, so that's what it is. And that's what the meaning of life is. For, for Christians anyway, and for myself specifically, the meaning of life is there is a creator. There are rules. We follow those rules. And currently, the life we live now, the meaning of life is to basically, we're on a journey home. That's the meaning of life. We're on a journey home. Everything that we experience, everything that we see, everything that we think is so big, it's all just temporary. When you set your mind on a new car, on a new house and all those things, yeah, for sure, work hard and get those things, but they're all temporary, you know? And they're temporary in a sense of we are, we are not, this is not our home to settle on. This earth is corrupt. You know what I mean? And they're also temporary in a sense of you could lose that at any given time. Your house could set on fire. Your car could, do any time you could lose it. Everything is temporary. So Christians on... The day of worship. Okay, Christians on the day of worship. So, why do Christians worship on a Sunday? It is not unusual for Christians and non-Christians alike to question why we worship on Sunday rather than Saturdays. The Sabbath or seventh day of the week in Bible times, the Jewish um, in Bible times, the Jewish custom was and still is today to observe the Sabbath day. Um, of worship on Sunday. So then why is a sat Saturday Sabbath no longer observed by most Christian churches today? Why do Christians worship on Sunday? So Sabbath worship. Many verses in the book of Acts refer to the early, Christians church, early Christian church meeting together on Sabbath, which was a Saturday to pray and study the scriptures here. And a few examples are given. Transition to Sunday worship. Some, some Christian scholars believe the early church began meeting on Sundays as soon as, as soon, Sundays soon after Christ rose from the dead in honor of the Lord's resurrection, which took place on a Sunday or the first day of the week. Um, this verse quotes Apostle Paul instructing the church to meet together on the first day of the week, which was Sunday to give offerings. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the, first day of, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't worry until I get there. 
and then try collect it. Don't wait until I get there and then try collect it at once. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1 to 2. Let's go and read that in the Bible ASAP because I was just reading that on the webpage. Yeah. 1 Corinthians verse First Corinthians 16, that's one to two, collection of, for the saints. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I, was give, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may there, there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, listen, all Paul is saying is put your money aside. Don't basically save it. Don't be tempted to spend it on the first day of the week. You know what I mean? Your week is over. The first day of the week, when you're starting the week again, put your money, put your money, your offerings aside. Okay. So that you're not collecting it all at once so that you're not what doing backpedaling oh my goodness this is how much i was meant to give that time he's not saying that this is a day of worship furthermore this is saying some christian scholars believe early christians began meeting on sundays soon after christ rose from the dead take a pause in that okay the early church was started by the disciples and then right but then this is saying that in the book of Acts, many verses in the book of Acts refer to early Christian church meeting together on the Sabbath. So which is it? The early church was meeting on a Sunday or the early church was meeting on the Sabbath? I feel like here, there is nowhere in the Bible, nowhere at all, which changes a Sabbath day from a Saturday to a Sunday. Nowhere at all. Not a single verse. This one we've just read from 1 Corinthians is just called, it's reaching. Paul is giving a specific instructions about offerings, the tithes, whatever it may be. And they have interpreted that as that's the day they were worshipping. But it didn't even say that. Not at all. Okay. But the confusion really with this is some scholars believe the early church began meeting on Sundays as soon as Christ rose from the dead. But then if we're reading the books of, book of Acts, which comes after Christ rose from the dead, the early Christian church was meeting on a Saturday. And if anyone was going to be a perfect example and really give us an example and a standard of when Sabbath is, it would have been Jesus himself and Jesus was worshipping on this prescribed Sabbath, Saturday. Okay, so anyway, let's carry on reading. When Paul met with believers in trials to worship and celebrate communion, they gathered on the first day of the week. Acts 20 verse 7. Let's go and read that. Acts 20 verse 7. Um, after, let me, yeah, let me just start from verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when Paul's, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart the next day spoke to them and continued his message until midnight there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered and in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep now let me just pause right there already nothing like this is saying that this was a sabbath Do, am i making sense 
nothing about what I've just read has said Sabbath. I can go to do Bible study on a Tuesday. I can choose to do Bible study on the first day of the week. I can choose to do it on a Sunday. But he's just saying when the disciples came together to break bread, this doesn't mean that they were practicing communion because actually when you're having food with people, when you're uh, communi communing with people, actually like socializing with people and you have food or whatever, that's called breaking bread with each other. And also this could also be translated as spiritual bread, right? But this was literal food. They were eating together and then they started doing Bible study and Paul was the speaker of the evening. And spoke, Paul spoke until midnight and then there was a boy who sat in the window anyway, fell in a deep sleep and he died to be fell to his death basically. Um, but then Paul made him uh what's it called then a miracle was performed and the boy was made alive again but nothing like nothing here is talking about this being a sabbath day <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's not talking about this being a sabbath day he was actually journeying paul was traveling and he stopped in Troas and that's when they met on the first day of the week when he was in Troas you know what I mean and that's where they broke bread they basically socialized socialized together and broke the spiritual bread as well basically yeah so again reaching because the bible hasn't said anything about on the first day of the week which was known as the sabbath if the bible well the way i know the bible it's very very intentional if the Saturday, if the Sabbath was actually changed from sun, Saturday to Sunday, it would just say that. It would just say that. It Genuinely, it would just say that. It would be like now, having made a new covenant, the Sabbath day was transferred from a Saturday to a Sunday for God saw it fit that the Sad. He would say, it would, it would literally say that. It says all the other things. Why not Sabbath? Why not Sabbath changing? And on this verse, it will say that. Now, on the first day of the week, which was now known as the Sabbath day, Paul was, well, it would just say that. Mark me. It would just say that. So, while many scholars view the transition from Saturday to Sunday worship as beginning right after the resurrection, after others see the change as a gradual progression over the course of history, it never happened. I'll tell you when it happened. Go and listen to Catholicism, the episode on Catholicism. Go and listen to when the Sabbath day change happened. Now, prepare for your eyes to be opened. It never changed by God's order and God's ordinance and by God's decree that the Sabbath day has changed. The Catholic Church is the one who did it with the Laodiceans and they said we're going to change it because we believe we've been given authority by Jesus Christ to change it. But nowhere in the Bible, not a single place. And if we know the Bible, the Bible has said not one jot or tittle will, will, will change basically from our word until heaven passes away. Not one jot or tittle. Nah, not one. Okay? Which means that you shouldn't add or take away. You shouldn't start claiming Jesus told us to change this day. We get, got given by authority. Why the Roman church? Why would he give the Roman church the authority? If God was giving his church authority to do something, the Bible would have that backing. You could back it up by opening scripture and going, there it is. Because God does not keep things secret from his people. 
If he's given a vision to a prophet, the prophet has revealed it. We can all go and read it. If I say prophet Jeremiah said this, I can't make something that is not written in the Bible. People call me out. That's not in scripture. So now the Roman church is saying, oh yeah, the Sabbath day was changed because we got given authority by Jesus Christ, but it was actually us and the Laodiceans who actually changed it. We came to an agreement uh, that we're going to change it to a Sunday. Come on now, people, wake up, wake up. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Today, many Christian traditions consider Sunday to be the Christian Sabbath day. The basis concept on verses like Mark 2, verse 27 and 28. Let's go and read that straight away. Mark 2, verse 27 and 28. Um, where it says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. I don't know what point that proves. It proves nothing. Luke 6 verse 5. Luke 6 verse 5. It says, um, and he said to them, the son of man is also the Lord of the, of the Sabbath. Of course, of course, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath because in six days he created the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh day and he rested because he saw everything that he had created was good. And if we go and look at the fourth commandments, it says, if we look at the fourth commandment, and this is what it means by the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Listen to this. It might blow your mind. Okay. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20. It might blow your mind. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. What? So Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and he's saying the seventh day is the day of the Lord your God, which means that the Sabbath day is the Sabbath day that has been since the beginning and it's the Sabbath day that's always going to be until the end because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and it's written in the commandments. In it you shall do no work nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that's within your gates. Now listen to this, why Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the, sab on, rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. There is nowhere in the Bible where Jesus is resting on the first day of the week and hallowing it. There is nowhere in the Bible where God, by God's highest order and decree, is changing the Sabbath from a Saturday to a Sunday and hallowing it. There is nowhere you will find Sunday being sanctified as the Sabbath day. Nowhere. You have been deceived, people. Wake up. Are you still sleeping? Okay, now you say, oh, Tonga, how do you know that? That's what it means. Let's go to John. The, 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 the verse that we can all recite by, by, by memory. Let's go to John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. 
and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath is written in Ten Commandments and it specifically mentions that the Lord is the creator, which means that this is what it means. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and it's never changing because he created the heavens and the earth in six days and hallowed the seventh day. Jesus created the seventh day. Jesus created the Sabbath day and he did not create us so we can we can we can bring light to the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was created for us so we can rest so we can remember because the Bible says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember what God did for you. Remember the creation. Remember who Jesus is because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. It never changed. So I do not share the widely proclaimed and the widely preached and practiced view of Sunday worship. I believe it's wrong. That's why I am a Christian but I'm not just any ordinary Christian. I tend to specify I'm a Christian, a Seventh-day Adventist, because I am a follower of Christ, but I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. The clue is in the name. But it just basically means we are Bible-believing Christians. We take the Bible seriously. We take the Word of God seriously. If there is no thus says the Lord, it's not from God. And there is no... From Genesis to Revelation, you will never find it, thus says the Lord, that the Sabbath day has changed. Never. Not one place. Let's move on. Christians and the origins of evil. So, the fact that God exists is obvious and in the world around us. In the mysteries of our human bodies, the existence of 1.6 million galaxies surrounding us and in the moral law written in our minds, that is the message in Romans 1 um, to 2. Many ignore the fact that God exists as a result. The world ignores the fact that there is a divine moral standard. One must ignore God before one can feel comfortable ignoring the divine moral law. God is holy and we are not. We sin. Um, Adam brought sin into the world. Before talking about sin, we need to define sin. 1 John 3 verse 4 states that sin is lawlessness. Sin is any violation of God's law and ordinances. Romans 1 28, verse 30, 1, 28 to 32 and Galatians 1 19 to 21 gives us a list of sins. However, the, list is, the lists are not all inclusive. The first sin on earth occurred when Adam disobeyed God, God's command in Genesis 3. The command that Adam disobeyed was given in Genesis 2, 16, 17. Um, sin is something we all commit in a sense that sin is an act of either willful or unintentional disobedience. We do this every day when we choose to disobey God's absolute moral law standard. God did not create sin. God tells us in the Bible that he cannot sin, nor can he be tempted with sin. Um, listen to the book of James. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Lusts just means desires right then when the when lust has conceived it gives birth to sin and when sin is accomplished it brings forth death 
that you will surely die. God cannot be tempted and neither does he cause others to sin. The first sin occurred when Satan chose to sin. He was created as a holy being and so were Adam and Eve. Satan committed sin in the spiritual realm and Adam created or committed the first sin in the universe. It is amazing to realize that these holy beings decided to sin just because a being is holy does not mean he cannot sin. God permitted the angels and humans to sin. That was a situation before it occurred. Yes. Sin still exists in heaven today. Satan was permitted to enter heaven and visit God, Job 1 to 2. But some, some say someday God and angels of heaven will deny him access and cast him to the earth. Someday he will live forever in the lake of fire, in the new heaven and the new earth there will be no sin. So um, I don't really agree with that. Let's go to Job chapter, Job chapter 1 and 2. Let's go and uh, investigate. Um, I'm going to skip some stuff. Um, now, there was a day when the sons, of, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came along with them. And the Lord said to Seth, Satan, from where do you come? It doesn't say that they were in heaven. Do you understand how important it is not to add our own spin on what it is that we read in the Bible? This doesn't say that they met in heaven. It just said that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came along with them. It doesn't mean this happened in heaven. This individual, whoever wrote this, whatever Christian it was, wrote that there are 1.6 million or billion, whatever galaxies out there. Who is to say that there wasn't another meeting spot? Now, the thing is, we think really, um, like, we just think really small, I, I suppose, at times. We, we think that there is either heaven or earth. You know what I mean? If, if, if the Lord, and to me, the way I've also looked at the Bible the throne of God, the father, the way it's described in Ezekiel, it lets you know that basically God sees everywhere at all given times. You know what I mean? Left, right, back, front, whatever it is, he's all seeing and all knowing them things there. Jesus is the one that moves around. He's, Jesus is all knowing. Let me just get that clear. But Jesus moves around. He moves around in a form of... Um, in a form of an archangel, he moves around as the 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 one in charge of um, the Lord's army. So when he says the Lord to me, that's Jesus, you know, moving around. This, what we just read, doesn't mean it was in heaven. It doesn't mean that. It, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, now let's go to Job chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among to present himself before the Lord and the Lord said to Satan where do you come from and Satan answered the Lord and said from going to and fro the earth Satan was cast out of heaven he lost his rights to be in heaven so why would he be permitted to go back to heaven that doesn't make any sense at all he waged war in heaven, was cast out in heaven, drew a third of the stars with him, basically took some angels down with him, you know, deceived them as well. Why would he now be permitted to go back into heaven? That's a security breach. Questions to ask oneself. 
So that's, to me, I don't like that and I don't agree with that at all. Um, but I do agree with the first sin that say um, Adam and Eve are the ones who um, sinned and thus here we are. Uh, but I also do agree that God did not create sin. Satan said in his heart, we can read in the Bible, Satan said in his heart. So which means that the free will that Satan was created with, Satan exercised his free will to consider himself greater than God. And thus he sinned in his heart. Thus his, his heart became corrupt with narcissism, vanity. <laughs> if I could just say that. Okay, Christians and death. You know, what do Christians believe when it when it comes to death? So. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Christians believe that death is not the end of our existence. The belief that has shaped the Christian faith since Jesus Christ rose from the dead after his execution 2,000 years ago, this does not mean that Christians are somehow immune from and or unaffected by the pain of grief and loss when, when a close friend or a relative dies. But it means that they have a hope in something eternal that goes beyond life and death as we know it, and that hope sustains them in such difficult times. Christians believe that everyone who lives will meet God. There will be a day of judgment when all humanity will come into, the, into God's presence. Every person will have to give an, an explanation for all they thought, said and did. The successes and the failures. Jesus Christ made it clear that everyone's behavior, particularly towards the poor and vulnerable, will be laid bare before God. For some people, this might be worrying, even frightening prospect, but Christians anticipate this meeting confident that it will be a good experience. This is not because of anything that they have done to earn God's favor. They know that would be impossible. Their certainty is based on the existing relationship with God. They know that because of Jesus Christ's death, Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, they have been forgiven for all they have done wrong and have become like adopted children of God. It is a gift, not a reward for doing good. They have experienced God's perfect, endless love during life, during their life, and they will continue to enjoy it for eternity. Okay. Within the Christian church, there are different explanations of what happens to people after their death, but there is agreement that there but there is an agreement that Jesus' promise is true. Um, 
this is true. There are there are many thoughts and you know, but I, the widely shared idea of what happens after death is you go to the other side. That's the widely believed Christian view is you go to the other side, which I do not share. I mean, you already you guys already know that I do not share that belief whatsoever. I believe that when you die, you're dead. You're 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 sleeping basically. Your consciousness goes nowhere. You know nothing. And you are basically waiting for the resurrection. And, you know, between now and that time is just by the second. It's like going to sleep and waking up in the morning. When it comes to death, you know, I like the way this Christianity, is it Christianity.org or is it Christianity.net? Christianity.org. I like .org.uk. I like the way they put it because it's like, they have they have basically in the beginning said, Christians believe that life is not the end of our existence. You know, this could a back up what the widely belief is, the wide belief is of, you know, you will not surely die or it could also mean that what I'm saying. So this is quite general indeed, it's quite general. But um, many Christians really do share the belief that you know, you will not surely die. You know, you don't actually see death. You die, but you go to the other side, you continue living and then you wait for Jesus and Jesus comes and you're you know, I just think that's really complicated and there's many flaws and holes in that kind of like idea. So Christians and Jesus. So we read a little bit about Jesus in the beginning, the when I read out about um the Christian faith and who Christians are where it says Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he lived as a man on earth about 2,000 years ago. But Jesus himself is himself divine. He is one person of a three-person God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians believe the accounts of the Bible which say Jesus was miraculously conceived and lived for about 30 years before beginning three years of travel around the Middle East, teaching about God and healing sick people. Christianity teaches that Jesus was betrayed, tried and convicted on false charges and executed by crucifixion, but rose from the dead and reappeared to thousands of people. Yes, I believe that. I believe in that Jesus. I believe in that life. I do believe that Jesus was tried and crucified. Um, yeah. So not really much to add on this, you know. I feel like we're of the same mind about who Jesus is. Um, the dates, personally, I, I'm I'm not really that fast when it comes to dates too much. I know that people really study and scrutinize dates and things like that. But for me, I don't need to know whether it was 2,000 or 3,000 years ago. All I know is it was. But, you know, 2,000 years ago sounds, sounds, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> tucks hair behind here you get me um so G um christians on salvation and heaven and hell let's go and read that so from christianity.org let's go and find out what is salvation the concept of salvation or being saved is central to the christian faith it operates as both the global or cosmic it operates at both the global or cosmic scale and at individual level for individuals, salvation means being rescued by God from the consequences of wrong of our wrongdoing. God created humanity to have a close relationship with him 
and he created a perfect world for us to live in. But our relationship with God was weakened when humanity opted to defy God. Yes, the defiance was catastrophic, bringing sin and death into the world. The word sin means wrong actions and wrong thinking. I didn't know that. It, and I'm going to look into that a little bit more, I'm going to be honest. Um, it, is as, it is as if our sin leaves us permanently stained. God is pure and holy. He cannot tolerate sin. But he wants our relationship with him to be restored. So something has to be done about sin. Um, so let's continue. Christianity teaches that there will be a day of judgment when everyone will stand before God and have to answer for all that we have said and done. God will deal with sin. He will view everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their savior, as innocent. It will be as if they had never sinned. They have, they have been acquitted. They are now reconciled with God. But Christianity teaches that anyone who has rejected Jesus will not have this protection from the consequences of sin. They will face God's judgment on their own. However, salvation is not just something that operates at individual level, but something that God is doing for the whole universe. The book of Colossians describes how death of Jesus Christ achieves something that is, that is cosmic in its proportions. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This means that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ began something that would be fully realized at the end of times when a new heaven and a new earth will be restored, a place where there will be no violence, no mourning, crying or pain. Right. Yes, but... That's my, you know, my input on this. Yes, but, you know, Christianity, well, it says like, um, when everyone will stand before the judgment of the Son of God, yada, 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 he will view everyone who believes in Jesus as their savior, as innocent, and it will be as if they've never sinned, and anyone who is rejected um, will not have this protection. This is not correct teaching. People who believe in God and who believe in Jesus and have accepted Jesus as the savior of the world, some of them won't even be saved. That's why in the Bible it says, not all who say, Lord, Lord. You know what I mean? Let's just go and read it. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, right? Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there are people who would have believed in Jesus, who would have believed in God, who would have, you know, believed that Jesus died on, this, on the cross for us. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So it's not as simple as just going, I accept Jesus as my savior and I reject Jesus as my savior. There's nuances to that. You know what I mean? There is, you know, accepting Jesus as the Christ, but following your own way. There's those who are going to say, uh, God, like we did X, Y, and Z, but say that Sunday is the day that God hallowed and sanctified and changing God's law, basically. There are so many little details, but those people who believe this, who truly believe that Sunday is the new Sabbath and was changed by God's order, even though it's nowhere in the Bible, 
And they truly believe in Jesus. They truly believe in Jesus. So they're going to turn around and be like, well, what one for this? It's not as simple as just going, I accept Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. And no, I don't believe in God. There are two camps. There are those who stand for Jesus and there are those who are going to stand against Jesus, whether you believe in Jesus or not. But when you don't follow what Jesus's law is, what God's law is, and you don't follow God's instructions, you are not for Jesus even if you believe in Jesus. That's why I'm saying it's a lot more, it's a, it's a little bit more nuanced than this. You know what I mean? Let's go to what they believe, what Christians generally believe on heaven. And hell, you get me. So this can be found on christian.net. Again, I'll put everything in there in the description. But, as many as the number of religions in the world are the number of theories about heaven and hell. Some often get confused about what it is, while others get their information about he heaven and hell confused. We Christians, however, should not be part of this crowd. We should clearly know what we believe in and why we believe in it. Our belief about heaven and hell is related to one of many key points of our salvation. The things that we do as Christians basically revolve around our beliefs. Here we aim to, um, so this one did go in a little bit, the belief about life beyond, beyond death. Our beliefs, biblical or not, are rooted and related to our beliefs about life beyond death, life after death or other religions. People who believe in spiritual realm believe that death is not the end. That is why certain ceremonies are done when someone passes. Okay. Although the belief about life beyond death is not a new concept, it is still one of the most confusing and complicated topics to discuss. I disagree. It's not complicated at all. Sacred texts of the mo of most religious religions contain vague ideas about life after death and what happens after we die. The Bible, however, contains a lot of information about both life and death. Yet so many Christians are still confused. Many of us have a basic idea of what happens after we die. In Christianity, the teachings of the Bible about life and death can be summarized by explaining about heaven and hell. However, due to the complexity of the subject, some people just accept what is widely believed to be theology of heaven and hell or whatever the pastor, the church pastor teaches it to be. But there are also... Others who have mixed Christian theology with other belief or other religions. As Christians, it's important we value every word written in the Bible and be mindful of not committing sins against God. Okay. So Christian theology on heaven. Heaven in the Bible is portrayed in various works of art, literature, and movies, which gives us the wrong idea of how heaven is like. For instance, a kid who watches a movie that portrays heaven as a place with a lot of toys and candy might get the impression that heaven is a big playground. However, when this kid grows up, the idea of heaven as big playground might cease, but the perception that heaven is a place of positivity and fun remains. Though it's true that souls may go to heaven, um, the impression of heaven as another earth, but as more fun version is wrong. These beliefs are proven through biblically informed speculations that are part of Christian theology and established fact. Okay. 
one of the most common one of the common questions about heaven is whether dead people's souls who lived righteously instantly go to heaven if they wait for or if they wait for judgment day in Luke 23 verse 32 to 43 we can read what Jesus said to the thieves after they talked to him he told them that from that day they will be with him in paradise however there are claims that it's contrary there are claims that it is contrary to what the book of revelation says in the book of Revelation, it is said that each soul will be judged according to their works to determine whether they go to heaven or hell. However, revelations are claimed that there's a list of names written in the book of life in which those on it will immediately enter into heaven. So does the Bible contradict itself? No. To further understand the heavens that were mentioned in scripture, theologians have come up with a taxonomy of terms to concisely explain the description the distinction between the terms that was used um okay i think people are making it complicated so let's go to the bible verses mentioned let's go to luke 23 verse 32 to 43 luke 23 there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified with him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and said to, and then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and give, offering him some sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin and the Hebrew. This is king of the Jews. Whoa, I've just had a realization that in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, he said that he had a name that only him himself knew, but on his robe was written king of kings and lord of lords. It's contrary to what they had they had put the inscription over his cross that said this is the king of the jews no jesus is saying don't get it twisted i am the king of kings and lord of lords not the king of the jews oh i'm just deep that i've got chills they're multiplying then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed saying if you are the christ save yourself and us but the other answering rebuked him saying do not even do you do you not even fear god seeing you are under the same condemnation my guy said what are you doing <laughs> and we indeed justly we indeed justly for we receive the due a reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong then he said to jesus lord remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, so I think based on what the Bible has written previously in the Old Testament and New Testament, I believe that this is a mistake in placing of the comma, right? But however, for those who are going to be like, oh yeah, you're going to use that argument, aren't you? Here we go. Let's just read verse 42. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When did Jesus go into his kingdom then? Was it on the cross? Was it on the cross that he went into his kingdom? 
Or did he die and resurrect and remained on earth for a little bit and then went into his kingdom? So he's asking for that. And Jesus is making him a promise like, you will be with me in paradise. So what shall we say then? That he went straight away, but Jesus didn't. The thief, the thief went that very day to his kingdom, but Jesus didn't. Isn't Jesus the savior? Isn't Jesus the resurrection? So if Jesus is the resurrection and no one in the Bible, not Moses, not Lazarus, was resurrected without Jesus. Now, I just want you guys to follow me here. If, if, if Moses had to be resurrected, if... Um, Lazarus had to be resurrected. If all the dead people in the Bible, including like, you know, Jairus's daughter, then Manet, all had to be resurrected. The thief didn't. <laughs> the thief didn't get resurrected, but he went straight to heaven. If that's actually what happens when we die what would be the need for god to come down to resurrect moses what would be the point of that if moses was already having a shindig in heaven but the bible is clear that in a twinkling of an eye our bodies will be changed this mortal will put on immortality which means that for me to enter heaven i'm gonna enter it with a body not just a spirit so shall we say then on this cross jesus died the thief died but the thief went to heaven without a resurrector but jesus resurrected and went to heaven with a body but the thief didn't. I just want you guys to sit with her and to just deep it for a second. I know I've said a lot, but just deep it. I know you're hearing me. But I want you to hear me to understand, not just to formulate arguments in your, in your own minds, innit? This is what I think it's supposed to read. Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Basically, I have forgiven you. You are saved. I, I hear that, bro. I, I see where your heart's at. I see where your heart's at. You will see heaven. When the time comes, you will see heaven. But I am making you that assurance today. I am promising you this fact today. Your life, your salvation, guaranteed. And I'm guaranteeing it today. Because genuine, genuine, guys, really serious. Let's think about this now seriously. Serious. Let's think about it. Moses resurrected full body. Um, Lazarus was resurrected. Again, I've made a point before. How mad would you be if you're busy partying? Yeah, hi Enoch, you're good. Getting to know heaven, feeling good, feeling comfy. Then, 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 then hearing Lazarus come forth, and you're thinking no, and then you go back to the dreary earth. How depressed would you be? So Lazarus re resurrected. Um, other minor, I'm going to say minor, it's not a minor thing, but I'm just going to say minor characters, like, you know, the, the, the people who are resurrected in the Bible, all resurrected to their full bodies. If they were in heaven, what a bummer. How, how awful. But truly, you mean to tell me 
Jesus had to resurrect to his body and then ascended to heaven full body. But other people don't need their full bodies to enter into heaven. Are you deep in that? Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's read Revelation 20 verse 15. Revelation 20 verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's just read from verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened. Um, which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books the sea gave up the dead who were in it and the and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire um so in comparison to what we've just read, um, the, the thief on the cross, his name is basically Jesus guaranteed to my guy, your name is going to be found written in the book of life. So when he resurrects on that day, remember, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will resurrect first and be caught up in the air with Christ. Then we who are alive will be caught up with them, right? Why would they say all of that if the dead are already in heaven? There's no need. They'll just be given immortal bodies in heaven. Zap, you've got a new immortal bodies. There's no need for your grave to open, right? But basically, Jesus, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It's saying the same thing, but the Bible needs wisdom to understand it. Jesus guaranteed my guy's name in the book of life. Those who are sinners, those who 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 chose to go their own ways and follow after their own lusts, their names won't be found written in the book of life, dead or alive. And those who are dead or alive, who followed Christ, you know, will be found in the book of life. So the book of life will be opened. Basically, there are two books, the book of deeds, what you did and the book of life. It's like we have got evidence that you did these things and that's why your name is not written in the book of life. Or rather, we can also say we have searched your name up in the book of life and you are not found in there because these are your deeds that we have found in this book. This is the reasons. Friends, let's not mix ourselves up and create narratives where none exist and create our own understanding when the bible is given us understanding you know what i mean you, we need to pray much for wisdom we need to pray much for wisdom um so misconception number one all people who die will go to heaven Christian theology. It's nice to tell our kids that a loved one who has died has gone to heaven, but as an adult Christian, it's important to debunk this misconception. Dying does not clear away sins. The, righteous of, the righteousness of God will punish every sin, and some sins take away an individual's right to go to heaven. In other words, heaven is not for everyone. I don't even think it's nice to tell our kids that a loved one who has died has gone to heaven. They're dead, bro. I don't even believe in that. 
Um, misconception number two, heaven is a place full of clouds or things that we assume to be there. Christian theology, heaven is beyond magnificent. It is the dwelling place of a superior God and any material thing isn't enough to describe how majestic it is. The book of Revelation gives us a glimpse of how heaven looks like and it's definitely a place where you, it's definitely a place where you could make a snowman out of clouds. Uh, I personally haven't seen that description, so maybe I need to read the book of Revelation again. Misconception number three, heaven is a place where we can have a reunion with our loved ones. Christian theology, the thought that we may get to see our deceased loved ones again in a, bitter pl in a better place and be with them forever is a comforting thought. The Bible said that heaven would be a place of happiness with no pain or sickness, but it also stated that once we die, the soul will not carry any memories that when we made here on earth that includes our familiar familiar ties and all the relationships that we had established well, where does it say that it doesn't say that anywhere okay it doesn't say that anywhere at all i think it's you know taking the verse in ecclesiastes i think it's ecclesiastes uh, where it says the dead know nothing and their memories perish with them um because you are dead nothing happens after you're dead that's what that verse means you know but in heaven we will know each other we will know each other if i go to heaven and my mom is there i will know this is my mother she it just won't matter though it won't matter the way it matters on earth that she is my mother but it will matter much because i will know exactly who she is you know um stephen and paul they're going to be reunited in heaven. And Stephen's going to be like, excuse? How did he? Because we're going to remember things that we endured. If we didn't remember a single thing that happened on earth, sin will enter again. We're going to remember the things that we endured on earth. And we're going to remember our people. Our memories are not going to perish. Our memories die when we die, when we sleep, because we know nothing. We think nothing. We plan nothing. We do nothing. Basically, that's what the Bible is saying. But when we resurrect and go to heaven, we will know ourselves. We will know the past which we have trod. I will know my kid. My kid will know me. But we'll just be brothers and sisters in Christ because we are all one in Christ, basically, you know. Um, and in Revelation 22, verse 2, it says, In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12, 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Healing from what? Healing from what? Sounds like it's healing from trauma to me. <laughs> so we will remember. Otherwise, what are we healing from? You know what I'm saying? And we'll be healing from the fact, the knowledge that our people, let's say my mom doesn't make it to heaven or my loved ones, my friends don't make it to heaven. I will need to grieve that. I need to heal from that. You know what I mean? So no, there'll be no more pain, no sorrow, no crying there. Things that are created while we're in heaven, but the things that happen to us on earth, they will, they will be so trivial anyway, but there would need to be a healing of the nations. You understand what I'm saying? So this is horrible, horrible um, theology. This is from Christian.net again. So hell, hell is a term that, gener that is generally known as part of Christian theology. The idea of hell has been widely portrayed as much as heaven. Um, hence, there, there has been a lot of misconceptions about it too. 
Fictional ideas and biblical truths have been mixed and passed down from generation to generation. Um, Jesus once compared the hell to a valley that burns corpses in Gehinnom. This gives the confirmation that it is a place with fire, extreme ones. From these, we can guess what kind of torments await for those who are cast down into hell. The Bible does give us the Bible doesn't give us information about hell as a form of amusement. All the things that are written about it are meant to be warnings. Hell is not a terminology that we can simply attribute to any bad situation. It is far from the hilarious portrayal made by Gary Larson in his comics. There is nothing ridiculous in hell. Your bad life is not even the least to be compared to it. The Bible's descriptions of hell implies that laughter is an impossible word to be to, to be related to hell. It is a land of darkness in some verses. The book of Job held is described as the land of deepest night. It is also perceived as the realm of utter darkness where we interpret it literally or whether we interpret it literally or figuratively, we can say that it is a place full of darkness and the only light that can overcome it is the light of Jesus. Hell is a place with everlasting fire. According to some scholars, this perception of hell was deeply rooted in the Jewish idea of Gehinnom as place of endless punishment. The fire and hell will continuously burn forever, making souls suffer eternally. Matthew 18 verse 8. Let's go to Matthew 18 verse 8. It says, If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. Okay? Another description can be found in Mark 9, verse 43. Mark 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into the life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, um, into that fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, which you know, this verse is gives us a description of unquenchable fire. Souls will be continuously tormented in hell. Jesus warned us in many instances about how terrible hell is. The usage of the expression of national teeth implies extreme pain. Matthew 8 verse 12. Let's go and read that. By the way, I don't agree with any of how they're interpreting these scriptures, but I'm just reading so I can make my say my findings um but the son of the kingdom but but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out but the sons of the kingdom will be let's read from assuredly assuredly from verse 10 when jesus heard it he marveled and said to those who followed assuredly i say to you i have not found such great faith not even in israel and i say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with abraham isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness there will be weeping and national teeth then jesus said to the centurion go your way and as you have believed let it so let it be done to you Okay. Um, final words. The words of God would be the basis of Christian theology. We should try, we should not rely on our understanding alone as it is limited and vain. 
Our way of life should be guided by the purpose of living revealed in the Bible. Hence, we should always consult the Bible if we want to know the things of, that are of God. This is a very interesting bit at the end, right? Because you say that we should always consult God and we should always look in the Bible, but yet you look in the Bible and you misinterpret the Bible, right? So let's go to Jude, everybody. Jude only has one chapter, so let's go to Jude. Um, and let's read. Let's read from verse five. But I want to remind you, though once you knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Okay. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness in the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and its cities and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, let me just stop right there. Is Sodom and Gomorrah currently burning? No. But are we aware of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Whether you believe in God or not, you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You have heard it. Are we aware of it? Yes. So in our memories, is Sodom and Gomorrah burning forever? Yes. That's the concept of this eternal fire. It doesn't mean the fire will physically be burning people. God will not torment people. He's not a tormentor. People will be tormented themselves when they realize their mistake for not going God's way. When they realize, oh my gosh, your judgments are just, that will be torment. That will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will be sorry. You will be sorry you didn't believe. You will be sorry you, you followed your own desires. You pursued your own lusts. You will be sorry and you will weep. And you will be afraid. National teeth is like. That's fear. You will be sorrowful. You will be sorry. You will be afraid. You will be tearful. And you will be so scared. Your teeth will clink clank. You know what I'm saying. But you will burn and you will die. That's why in the book of Revelation. We've just read the great white throne judgment. It said this is known as the second death. Which means you will die. You will burn and you will die. But that fire will be eternal. It will eternally exist in the memories, in the minds of what happened. The memories will always continue. As we remember Sodom and Gomorrah till this day, we will always remember those who perished because of sin. When sin is no longer existing, if I will think, oh, I want to be on the throne. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Remember. Remember what happened when sin entered the world in the first place. So this eternal fire is not literal eternal. Okay, but it's eternal in our memory. So it will be forever. We will know this fire forever, but you don't take my word for it. Go and read the Bible yourselves as we have just read. Having themselves, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, 
suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so they're an example, which means that those who perish in the lake of fire and, and die the second death will be an example. Hmm. Hmm. So, guys, I hope you have gained much from this. I hope you have seen the difference, the, the, the difference. Or maybe I'll say is that you've, you've seen the general understanding of Christianity. You know what I mean? Next week, I will be going into Seventh-day Adventism. The difference why I'm not a general Christian. Um, I used to watch this YouTuber who used to give Bible commentary. I think I've already mentioned this before. And my guy used to give Bible commentary. And I used to be like, you know what? He's spitting facts. Until one day, he um, he misinterpreted, you know, Peter having a vision of Peter um, kill and eat, you know. And Peter's like, I've never eaten anything unclean, Lord. And the vision wasn't about animals. The vision was basically about him not wanting to interact with Gentiles and basically looking at them like scum. Like they don't deserve to hear the word. And God was giving him the vision. Like they need to hear it too. Go, go and give them the word. And he was like, nah, could never be me. So this guy now in the commentary interpreted it just as the way the vision came. But we know that visions, you know what I mean? It's like, when we even when we have dreams, the meaning of dreams and like for like what we dreamt, it could mean something completely different, right? So this guy, um, I, I decided to email him. I was like, I'm disturbed in my spirit. This is spreading the wrong message because you're telling people they can eat whatever they want, but the Bible doesn't state that we can. So I kind of messaged him saying, I appreciate what you were saying and I like to watch you, but I think you got this a little bit wrong. And I explained myself. Anyway, the guy turned around to cut the long story short, even though I've already made it long. <laughs> the guy turned around and he was like, well, this is the common belief of the church. This is what we believe as the church. And it reminded me of that, you know, wide is the, the where the, the basically the wide the wide path and gates and the narrow path and gates um basically to me just because it is the popular thing to do doesn't make it right just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right the bible is clear on its order the bible is clear on its on its practice thus says the lord it's very important the bible is very clear on from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. If Genesis is saying you will surely die and the book of Revelation is saying this is the second death, it means it's sure. For those who are disobedient, the reason why we're not dying eternally, the first death, is because of Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus died to save us. We have hope. That's called the good news. That's why it's called the good news. But for those who choose to reject this good news and to go after their own way and to basically add their own things to the Bible, create their own narratives from the Bible, this is called the second death. You will surely die. Our God does not take pleasure in the fall of the wicked. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Neither is he going to torment people day and night, night and day. That's not going to happen. That's not a loving God. Let me leave it there, friends. Okay, let me leave it there. Let me leave us with this. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Wah, wah, wah. I'm sorry the episode is over, but please tune in next week for another exciting journey. Goodbye, goodbye, bye, bye, bye. Have good vibes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.